You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Hi, this is Dr. John Langlois. And I am Dr. Allison Marshall, and you are listening to the special monthly Chi University episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 26th. Good morning, Horse World. Welcome to our once-a-month look at traditional Chinese veterinary medicine with the Chi University. So this month, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Megan Myers. Megan is a veterinarian in the Tampa, Florida area, and uh, she happens to be an instructor with Dr. Langua and I at Chi University. So we're happy to have her today. Um, we're going to talk quite a bit about stomach ulcer treatment in horses and the many different ways to approach that from the sort of traditional Western medicine approach and then what TCVM or traditional Chinese veterinary medicine has to offer. Um, and we've got lots to talk about food therapy, all kinds of stuff. So John, will you help me welcome our guest? Yes, welcome. It's exciting to, to have you on board, and we look forward to uh, an hour of sharing uh, all that we know about gastric ulcers and colon ulcers in the horse. <laughs> Hard to believe we can fill an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so today on our podcast, we have a very special guest who happens to teach with both John and I at the Qi Institute, um, which is for traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, which we talk about as TCVM. And uh, Megan is in private practice in the greater Tampa, Florida area. She's owned her own practice, Integrative Veterinary Medicine, for a while. And so she incorporates acupuncture, laser therapy, the herbal meds that we always talk about, and spinal adjustment and chiropractic care. So um, very similar to my practice in Virginia. Um, and we are here to talk about, Megan's going to bring us a case revolving, and we're going to discuss treating gastric or stomach ulcer with traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. So, so happy to have you, Megan. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I am so honored to be a part of the podcast for Qi University. We're super happy to have you and we're super happy to do it. Wonderful. Uh, so I thought I would talk a little bit about stomach ulcers. Um, and I don't have one particular case that I wanted to discuss, but maybe a couple different ones that will all kind of maybe show what I've been seeing commonly. So That's I've heard great. you guys have talked about uh, some of the other common things that we see a lot, uh, especially as hot as it's been with anhydrosis or horses that aren't sweating well. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of horses with stomach ulcers. And as an integrated practitioner, I don't own an endoscope. I don't scope stomachs. So <laughs> I'm really not allowed to diagnose stomach ulcers without scoping. So what I will say is that I find I have a lot of patients that have symptoms or clinical signs that I will say are consistent with gastric ulcers or hindgut uh, irritation, inflammation, because they're two completely different conditions. 
And in Chinese medicine, we actually give them a little different diagnosis or a different name, and we might call them stomach heat or stomach yin deficiency. So those usually are very similar to gastric ulcers, uh, but the Chinese um, hundreds and thousands of years ago didn't have endoscopes. So they were really smart and looked at conditions, whether it was hot, whether it was cold, whether it was damp, whether it was dry, and they labeled it stomach because that's where the condition was and heat. So I've been seeing a lot of that lately. That's very well described. Thank you so much for doing that. It's perfect. It's it's interesting Um, to me how simple Chinese medicine is in very complicated ways. And it is interesting that stomach ulcers are stomach heat. That's what you feel like when you have stomach ulcers. So... Absolutely. And in my brain, I have to kind of do the K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. So if I try to make it real complicated, uh, I I go off track really quick. So um, one of the things that I find uh, are a lot of horses that are coming up with this diagnosis um, are owners that are telling me, hey, my horse might be just acting a little funny. They're not as willing to go forward under saddle. They might be a little more spooky. Hey, somebody started pinning their ears when I put the girth on. Um, In real um, significant or severe cases, they might say, hey, they've been grinding their teeth. They're not eating their grain as much. They'd rather eat hay. They'll take a bite of food go walk away, come back and eat some. So those are the real obvious things um, that I see very commonly. One of the ways as an acupuncture or TCVM practitioner that I can diagnose this is there's specific acupuncture points that are usually sensitive or reactive when we do our diagnostic acupuncture scan. We find that it's pretty regular. Um, There are probably about two-thirds of the cases that will have these clinical signs that will be reactive in their acupuncture points. Um, that's been proven by a, a colleague who did a really good study a couple years ago and presented it. Uh, it's been published. Um, so there are still some that maybe are having some symptoms and some signs clinically that we may not get uh, to react at their acupuncture points. So I don't always assume that they're not clinical or they're not giving me symptoms, uh, and it's not gastric ulcers, if they're not reactive at their points. If they're reactive at their points, I absolutely will hang my hat on. We need to address it and treat it. Sounds really awesome. I I do the same thing, and it's nice to hear that you also, I think anything in medicine, nothing is always or never, you know, and so you're right that so many of them don't. You have to kind of go on your spidey senses sometimes when those the points are not definitively as reactive as you think they should be. And I just think some of them are just so stoic that um, they just don't react as much. And a lot of it's super chronic. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah. Sorry, Megan. So when you're in your practice and you have these signs that you suspect might be uh, gastric ulcers, do you offer them an opportunity to have an endoscopic uh, endoscopic exam? Do you um, have a source for that or do you just go about your approach with TCVM and, and not offer that or not suggest that? So I have some really great colleagues in the area. I partner with them. I try to stay in my lane, which is just integrative veterinary medicine. So I don't offer conventional services, but I do talk to them and say, hey, that is the gold standard. You do need to fast your horse. You do need to, uh, you know, either haul them in or find a practitioner who has a three meter endoscope. So I will tell you that it's not something we do routinely, but I do discuss that it is 
technically the gold standard. Um, I do find that my treatment isn't really going to vary whether I have that confirmed diagnosis or not. So if owners prefer to do that, great. It gives us that one more piece of clinical information. Um, Always take all the information I can get. But if not, I'm more than happy to treat and go on response to therapy. Very good. So one of the other things I want to talk about is um, not just gastric ulcers, which that's super, super common. I think some of the numbers I've read are about 50% of our average adult horses and that are non-race horses uh, can have gastric ulcers. And up to 80 to 90% of race horses will have gastric ulcers. Um, not all the time, but will, are certainly you know susceptible to it. Um, one of the things that I have been seeing way more uh probably past few years, and especially this summer, since we've had so much excess heat, would be what I would consider large colon or hindgut issues. And the numbers say that those are about two-thirds of our performance horses and about half of our general equine population um, are susceptible to that as well. So most of our horse owners are pretty savvy and they know, hey, if my horse is traveling, I'm going to put them on some GastroGuard or some UlcerGuard or there's all sorts of gastric treatment out there, lots and lots of supplements. Uh, Once we get to these hindgut, we don't have as much clinical or pharmaceutical, I should say, pharmaceutical options. There are some, but it is not as well studied and it is certainly, there's just not as many options. Uh, one well, of the ways it's so that much I harder work- to diagnose, right? I mean, really, absolutely. that's the big problem absolutely. is how do you treat something that you can't diagnose very well? <laughs> right, right. You know, there's a little bit that maybe if you get an ultrasound, you might see some thickening in the, in the colon, especially the right dorsal colon. Uh, but, you know, in all reality, a lot of times we're seeing kind of similar symptoms. Um, I may decide or differentiate that I'm much more concerned about hindgut if the horse tends to having a little more diarrhea doesn't always. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'll find a lot more is they're going to be painful in their lower ribs. Owners might say, Hey, I started grooming him and he started pinning his ears when I was currying or brushing around his lower ribs or in the flank area. Um, some of those performance issues being girthy, those, those are ones that I'll pick up as well. Um, since I also do spinal manipulation, I'm always paying attention to saddle fit and thinking about, you know, do they possibly have restrictions, um, or need adjustment in the withers. But if I'm not finding that in the withers, I'm really, really concerned about what's going on in that gut. Uh, one of the things that's super, super cool about hindgut and foregut or stomach and hindgut, as we would, um, kind of think about it in, in general, terms would be there is one particular acupuncture point that you can place a needle. And if all the sensitivity that I'd been picking up earlier immediately goes away, I've nailed it. I know for sure that horse has hind gut pain. So if I don't, then I might think, okay, I need to keep hunting and figure out what's going on. But if I put that one needle in, uh, the, the point for my acupuncturist who might be listening is stomach 37. <laughs> it is the lower Jose uh, diagnostic point um, for large intestine. I love that acupuncture point. So if I get that point in and the pain clears immediately, I know I'm on the right track. And Megan, where are you seeing the pain that you're you're picking up that, uh, that this goes away with that point? Is it uh, in the back somewhere? Sometimes it is. Yes. So there's a couple different places in the body. Um, stomach seven, which is right by the TMJ up in the horse's head. One of my Oftentimes, favorite points. 
I will find some sensitivity reactivity kind of right at their last rib on the back, um, sometimes close to where the saddle sits. That does not always have to be related to gastric pain, but it is kind of one of those, what we would call an alarm or a, a trigger point that brings us thinking, hey, we need to pay attention to this. Um, in Chinese medicine, we it's actually called an association point. And then the one that is the most concerning to me would be uh, the alarm point for large intestine, which is actually under their belly, kind of out, about a hand's breadth outside their um, belly button. So that one, if that one's reactive, that's what gets me really thinking, hey, I need to pay attention to this hindgut. And a lot of these gastric ulcers or hindgut ulcers, these horses are super sore. They're super reactive across the back, maybe their hips. A lot of points that you look at them and you think, wow, this horse is way more sore and way more reactive than I would expect. So that can be considered a myofascial pain syndrome. And those are the points that I'm all looking to see if I can clear. And the cool thing is about stomach 37, that one specific point, is it usually only clears it on one side. So I can put the needle in on one side and it usually won't do anything to touch the other side. So again, it really kind of narrows down my diagnosis. It's very interesting. I've definitely been double barreled before for um, the, the one you described on the belly. I mean, that can be yep. very, very sensitive. Yep. I did have a case uh, about last month that just touching him, he mm -hmm. decided that he wanted to uh, let me know that he was not thrilled about it. So it is something that we do have to, as practitioners, be very careful and kind of keep that in mind. So we do live to practice another day. <laughs> no kidding. That's right. That's right. <laughs> cool. That's great. I, I, uh, I use these points every day for, to help me to diagnose as well. And I try sometimes, and I know this is us between our veterinarians, uh, to separate out um, stomach 25 and CV12, meaning that point in the bottom of the abdomen, sometimes they can help also to differentiate between what might be a stomach ulcer and a colon ulcer. So we have those Absolutely. points, and that, that differentiates our medicine from Western medicine, and now we have tools. And um, you know, we use all of that history that we, we find, but um, those points are very helpful for us. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about how you prescribe um, the Chinese medicine for stomach ulcers and which herbs you like to use and how you feel like they work and, and how long they take to sure. take effect and all that kind of thing. Sure, absolutely. So any of my horses that are severe, I say, hey, we need to use all the tools in the toolbox. Let's make sure that it doesn't matter what the label is. Let's treat this patient and make sure that we're getting them feeling as well as they can, as fast as they can. So in that case, they may need pharmaceuticals. And again, I'm going to partner with my colleagues and say, hey, let's get this patient on Gastrogard. Let's get this patient on, you know, whatever the, the sucralfate, misoprostol, whatever the medication happens to be that's right for that patient. Um, however, I am going to combine that with herbal medication because what I have found on a lot of patients are they have been treated for ulcers in the past and the horse recovered, did great, but guess what? They flared back up. As soon as we start finding this is a recurrent problem, we got to realize, hey, if we're just doing the same thing over and over again and expecting this to go away, that's a problem. 
So most of these horses will get prescribed an herbal medication. The one that I use most commonly is called Stomach Happy, which is formulated by our own Dr. Shea from Chi University. Um, he also has another formulation called Jade Lady. Uh, Jade Lady, I reserve for my much more severe cases. I don't use that one as often, but the ones that are really, really severe, maybe they're just not eating, almost colicky. They're so, so significantly um, affected that's when I'll use Jade Lady. But Stomach Happy is an herbal medication. It is by prescription only. It is not, hey, I think my horse has ulcers. I want to put my horse on this. It is to be treated as a prescription medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Stomach Happy is usually fed twice a day with the horse's food. And what it does is it kind of goes in and soothes and brings moisture to those uh, ulcerated tissues. Um, it is primarily for stomach, but it can be used for some of those horses that were more worried about colon or hindgut as well. Um, so there are a couple other ones that you can use depending on the patient. And again, the cool thing about Chinese medicine is it's so individual. If I have a patient that I think, hey, I need to get rid of some of this grumpiness, and that would be what we would describe as liver cheese stagnation. I may add in an herbal called liver happy. If I have um, a patient that has way too much heat, uh, Dr. Shea said that we could add in great Sasoria coptis, who I think uh, earlier on your podcast, Carol Holland mentioned she uses a lot, especially if she's worried about her hind guts. So there are things that we can combine, but I always, always, always want to add in food therapy. So I say, if I can help a little bit with food therapy and a little bit with herbals and a little bit with environmental management, I think we're going to see the best results than if we just say, hey, I'm not changing anything and putting my horse on GastroGuard. I totally agree with you. And I really love food therapy too. The way that I look at it is that, or the way that I describe it to my clients is that food is about half as powerful as herbs, which is really powerful, but herbs take a little while to kick in and food takes even longer. So hopefully you can treat, I don't know, I sort of see it as a layered approach, much like you described, is that if you need the Western pharmaceuticals, great. That's kind of the highest level of quick and um, emergency medicine sort of thing. Um, Then we come down to the Chinese herbs, but then I think that if we institute food therapy as we're doing those other treatments, as those treatments wear off, the food therapy supports the the good changes that we've made and also just, you know, benefits the animal rather than treating with anything. Absolutely. And when we get a condition like this, sometimes we, we don't know why a horse will get a disease process. But when we have something like this, we do have some triggers that we know are reasons for this. Some of it is horses are getting a lot of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, bute, banamine, equiox, super common in our performance horses. Um, sometimes we can't avoid those. We know those cause ulcers in horses. They certainly, I can't take Motrin. It bothers my stomach. I take one dose and it gives me ulcers. So same thing. Um, We need to avoid non-steroidals if at all possible. A lot of times it's just stress, stress in our patients. And the thing that I think has been the trigger why I'm seeing so many more recently is all this extra heat. I think um, two thirds of the country is under, you know, a heat advisory today. And so having all this excess heat, our horses, unfortunately, don't get to come into the air conditioning. So they're living in a hot, and in Florida where I am, a very humid environment, and that's adding to this. So what we can do, the herbs, like you said, they don't necessarily kick in immediately. Um, Sometimes I'll see improvement 
in a couple days. I usually like to tell owners so that way I'm not over promising and under delivering. Uh, <laughs> yes. But you know, a week, two weeks, um, certainly a month would be a very reasonable time frame to uh, give these herbs a chance to work. And then what we kind of do is go on. What do we need to do for this patient? Let's figure out the lowest effective dose. So a lot of these patients will be on it for a couple months, but maybe not the same dose that we started them with. And in the meantime, we're like talking about all the food therapy things that, um, you know, I think a lot of the diet got our horses into this to start with. So we feed way too much hot processed grain. A lot of my owners aren't feeding enough hay. Hopefully that doesn't last because I talk to them and say, Hey, you need to be on a forage diet. You need to be feeding your horses grass as long as they're, you know, not an insulin resistant patient. Um, you know, thinking about much more natural, less processed foods. And then we also talk about all the cooling foods we possibly can do. Um, it's August when we're recording this, I am not craving soups or stews or any of those comfort, comfort foods. Food. I am craving watermelon and salads fish and all of those, you know, absolutely cooling temperature foods. So I think the same thing for my patients. I recommend celery, cucumber, watermelon rind. I eat the pink fruit, let my patients have my rinds. Yep. Um, and then we've also talked about uh, chia seeds. Um, I am a huge believer of omega-3 fatty acids, whether it's coming from chia or flaxseed. Um, there are some salmon or fish-based ones that are supposed to be more palatable now. Uh, I've struggled in the past with getting my horse patients to eat that, but flaxseed oil is very cooling to the gut. Uh, and it's also soothing to the gut. So um, I recommend just about every one of my patients go on a flaxseed uh, or omega-3 type supplement. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, one of the favorites that um, I do believe it was you, Dr. Marshall, hmm. who recommended barley I is love now barley. something I recommend <laughs> all the time. Barley's my thing. <laughs> so why don't you talk a little bit too about how it's important um, not just that everybody goes out and feeds their horse watermelon because so in some instances that's not necessarily helpful to the horse's condition if they're, let's say, older and have diarrhea or something like that. Right. Absolutely. So again, Chinese medicine is very, very individualized and it can be just from one patient from one visit to the next. We look, we treat what we see. It's not just, Hey, this is what I think I have. So if you have an older horse that has watermelon or excuse me, that has <laughs> diarrhea, um, I'm not going to recommend watermelon ever with the pink because there's way too much sugar in that. And sugar is not good for horses. Um, but the watermelon rind itself is too cooling. And that older patient that has diarrhea may need the opposite of what's cooling. They may need warming. Um, in Florida, I rarely have that. But up north where you are in Virginia, you yep. probably get a lot more cold type hindgut or foregut or however. Um, I if I get a cold gut, I'm jumping going, hey, hey, it's it's not uh, something new. <laughs> it's not 110 degrees. Did you just move down from Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, John, do you have anything to add there? It's a great well, talk. No, I, I loved um, the um, the introduction of, of those foods. I've kind of been a sweet potato person. And, and in fact, I had a training center that uh, were going through 50 pounds of sweet potatoes a week. Love that. Um, they found it at 59 wow. cents a pound. Right. 
And the reason is that they saw a completely different, um, you know, not only in just coat, but attitude about eating. The horses picked up, and these sweet potatoes provide a beautiful kind of mucilaginous covering to the to the gut. And so for colon things, I think sweet potato has been my go-to. Cool. Oh, that's a wonderful one. Yeah, I know I recommend great. it for my insulin-resistant patients, so that way... Uh, owners don't give them carrots and some of the higher um, higher glycemic or high sugar treats. But and I know it's a cheat tonic, but I didn't think about the mucilaginous. Oh, great! I didn't I either, it. to be honest. And I often correct me if I'm wrong, colleagues. But sweet potato is one of those things that is of such a neutral temperature that really every horse could use it. Correct, and so really that would be kind of protective. Yeah, uh, and I've, for the most of my clients that have any concerns are, are using it. And, you know, I just tell them, you know, one and a half medium sweet potatoes a day is really, Perfect. really good prevention. Perfect. And I will often have my clients cut them into carrot size or treat size pieces, you know, to make that interactive. And they, they love that thing rather than carrots. They'll do sweet potatoes. You can throw the sweet potatoes in the microwave or lightly steam them, too. They don't have to be raw. One more thing just to bring up, and you know, sometimes I get these horses that are, you know, have been either at the track or in high performance and they're scoped and they have, you know, a high grade score on their scoping. And I think for these horses, a lot of times I recommend taking them away from the stress best we can. And we know that that's one of our key sources of these ulcers syndrome is the stress that they're put under environment. Uh, whether it be from performance or diet or climate, all those things contribute. So what I try and do is say, let's make a happy horse. Let's turn it out on a good pasture. Let's give it a, a, a routine that does not involve a lot of stress, not a lot of work, and let them give a little bit of time, you know, for a few weeks to just recover and get in a good space and be happy. And these things turn around faster for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. And yep. one of the places where I believe stomach happy has made the biggest difference for some of my patients, I have several owners who are amazing owners. Actually, almost all my clients are really doing the right thing. And I just get to refine what they're doing. I don't have, you know, as much 180 degree educational change as I've had, in, you know, when I was not doing integrative practice. And I have a lot of owners that, hey, I'm picking this up. I'm picking up your horse has some stomach heat or some hindgut heat, and they're already keeping their horse in, you know, a great low stress environment. They're already feeding a very high forage diet, 2% of their body weight or more free choice hay, um, feeding, you know, more of a, um, a either no grain or a ration balancer you know, they may already be on aloe or omega-3s or all those things. So when they're already doing all the right things and we've already checked off all those boxes, that's when I say, hey, okay, now we absolutely need to do these herbal formulas. So Stomach Happy comes in and makes a big difference. And I've had horses that were super hard to gain weight, like, you know, body condition score, we rate from one to nine, one is emaciated, nine is obese. Most of our horses, we like a four, five, or six. I've had a lot of these guys that are threes and the owners are feeding them and feeding wow. them and feeding them and we can't get weight on them. And, you know, with some time and some Stomach Happy, we put these the weight back on these horses and their coats get shinier mm -hmm. and we have, you know, happier horses and then happier odors. 
Yes, for sure. And I, I have two thoughts on that. Number one, I do think with those weight gain ones, I love starting a good probiotic. And I have a lot of those that I like that I think very complimentary if they've really got a lot of bacterial imbalance. And the other thing is, isn't it wonderful that Stomach Happy is less expensive than most forms of omeprazole, certainly GastroGuard and UlcerGuard? Oh, way, way, way less expensive. Right. And, you know, you can pulse therapy too. So, you know, it's one of those things that with some of those chronic patients that are, we've already addressed with everything like, you know, all the management and all the great diet, one of those things, some of those patients will give a small dose either once a day or every other day. And those horses seem to do amazing, you know, and then a lot of them we wean off and they really don't need it. We may use um, either a little bit or we may use a little ulcer guard as they travel just for kind of stress when it's a prevention type situation. But you're right. It is way less expensive than the pharmaceuticals, especially if you start thinking about sucralfate or mesoprostol. Mm-hmm, for sure. Very good. Yeah, I did a, just a, a quick look at um, the cost factors in there and uh, they're considerably different, certainly, like you say, for Gastrogard and the lot, you can spend, um, you know, $1,000, $1,200 a month, whereas, um, and there are some compounded things that some of my clients use to try and get that and get it a little cheaper, but we come out a lot better, maybe in the area of $130, $140 a month for the uh, stomach happy and other herbals, and uh, to me, that's, uh, that's, that's a good way to go. For yeah, sure. that's a very significant difference. And Stomach Happy is, again, I said Dr. Shea formulated it. He uh, is amazing, as those listeners who heard him on the first podcast with you guys. Uh, Dr. Shea uh, has combined some formulas to make this specific for horses. And there's been some uh, really neat clinical studies that they've done, and they've found that actually it promotes ulcer healing and there are protective effects in ulcerative colitis in humans. So it's not necessarily the stomach happy formulation, but the herbs that he is using. So there are really good data showing that it is actually working. There are, you know, medication or pharmaceutical type uh, active compounds in these herbs that are working to create this effect. For sure. And I think it's neat that over the 18 years that I've done TCVM, more and more research, veterinary research, we I think they've had a fair amount of the human research for a while, but there's just more and more research to help us um, I guess, understand why. We certainly understand that these things work well and they've worked well for hundreds, potentially thousands of years. Some of those, not stomach happy, but some of these Chinese medicine formulas are a thousand years old. That's just mind boggling to me. And so, you know, I look at it that our sort of straightforward medicine or Western medicine is now trying to figure out how it works, how our simple little Western brains can understand what they knew a long time right. ago. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite, right. quite interesting that Dr. Shea's big emphasis now is on research and evidence-based yeah. things. And we're, we're, we're going back to try and show that these, chem these herbs have the chemicals in there and can pharmacologically show they do promote uh, ulcer healing and they do promote prostaglandin uh, and mucus barrier. And so they're just there and we're, we're doing more and more research and it's, uh, it's gratifying to share with clients that we have now scientific evidence to, to back just the idea that we're using an herb. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Makes it a little more uh, palatable for folks who aren't as educated or haven't seen the results from integrative medicine, especially TCBM. Yeah. For sure. I totally agree. It gives them a framework to, to, to rest on a little bit to make that leap. I think anytime we try any new thing, it's a leap, you know, no, even if it's a, a new pharmaceutical medication, it's, it's still a leap. People certainly want to know that their investment has a good chance of um, helping out. And I can certainly look at them and say, well, in the last 18 years, it's worked really well, but that doesn't always cut it. So Megan, you've been awesome today. Thank you so much. Well, it's been uh, a real blast and I love talking about TCBM and you guys are my esteemed colleagues. So it's always great to chat with you guys. For sure. We, I, I love always learning something from everybody else. And now that, you know, we're doing the podcast, we get to chat with more people um, more often than just four times a year at GE. So it's great. Thank you so much, Megan. Megan, thank you again. Best to you. Are you a veterinarian or a veterinary student looking to take your practice to new heights? Look no further than Chi University, the renowned institution for traditional Chinese veterinary medicine education. Founded in Reddick, Florida in 1998, Chi University provides top-quality continuing education courses and academic programs exclusively for veterinarians. Chi University offers an extensive range of programs to enhance your skills in patient care, including veterinary acupuncture, canine and equine rehabilitation, and medical spinal manipulation. Looking to pursue advanced studies? Two master's degree programs provide a rigorous curriculum for those seeking in-depth knowledge and specialization in TCVM and integrative veterinary medicine. Ready to take the next step? Visit chiu.edu. That's chiu.edu. To learn more and start your journey. Whether you're a seasoned veterinarian or a passionate veterinary student, Chi University is here to empower you and equip you with the tools you need to make an even bigger difference in the lives of your patients. Well, that was fabulous. Um, gosh, John, isn't she an awesome person to be teaching with? And she gave a great synopsis there. Um, I, I agree. I wish I was a horse under her care. Ah, <laughs> well, and she was talking about how, what great clients she has. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I think I have the best clients in the world. How in the world can <laughs> she have them? <laughs> because it is neat how people who seek out a different form of medicine um, have open minds. And it is a really neat uh, teamwork that I feel like I have with my clients that we all know we don't know the answers. And we're just looking for the answers. And, and Chinese medicine has just got some really neat answers as far as uh, treatment and diagnosis for stomach ulcers. Yeah. So you and I had and talked I, a little bit about like how you diagnose stomach ulcers. And we didn't really talk much about that with Megan. Why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. And just following up on that, you know, I, I rarely, if ever, have seen a situation with a client where they go, I'm not going to do that. You know, they're always open to being, let's, let's give it a try. Let's, you know, let's, uh, I'm game, let's do it. And that's the beauty of it. I don't have to, you know, force them to do it. They're, they're, they're open to it. They take advice and we make a plan and we follow through with the plan and then adjust that plan if we need to. So the clients, uh, I have good clients too. (laughs) Yeah, I know you do. That's kind of why I said it. We all do. You know, it's just, it's fun. So, you know, one of the things that we um, 
we want to look for, uh, and I know our listening audience, uh, they're equestrians or they're owners and they've had horses. And so they're pretty familiar with what, you know, to expect or to, um, you know, maybe give evidence that, that ulcers may be going on. And, you know, we talked a little bit briefly about the importance of stress. If your horse is in a stressful environment, regardless whether it's in its work or its climate or it's it's in a high concentrate food, these things are going to lead to, and we understand it from TCVM, it's going to create heat in the body. And that heat is going to almost act like a barbecue for the stomach lining, and it's going to take a um, take a hit. So we we looked for these some of these signs, and some of them could be very simple. Um, sometimes I have clients that import horses, and that travel stress is tremendous for them, for sure. Uh, and oftentimes come in with mild symptoms of uh, you know gastric ulcers. Uh, even simple things of changing a new barn or changing a routine up. We know that our horses love routine. And one of the things that I try and do in the treatment phase is make sure they're happy, they're in a good routine, they cannot get stressed by uh, changing work schedules up or changing uh, partners up. Sometimes we even see you know, horses lose a buddy. And I've had horses lose 50, 75 pounds after having a lifelong companion. Mm-hmm. Um you know, seasonal heat, we're seeing so much of that, that's going to put a stressor on them. And as we mentioned earlier with Megan, uh, the high concentrate diet of of uh, using grains that are actually heat producers, similar to oats and things. So, and oftentimes we find uh, one of my best uh, teachers told me that a horse needs to chew 16 hours a day. And that wow, is we think about that with cattle, but not necessarily with no, horses. That's awesome. I, this is what I mean. He's a uh, a pretty good nutritionist and study, and he said <laughs> they need to eat sixteen hours a day. So um, we need to do the best we can to keep that roughage in front of them, and that's going to help us to uh, keep inflammation down and keep the the gut healthy. That's awesome. So when we when we um, have all all these signs out there that are going on, what do we see in the horse? And we see Similar to what Megan mentioned, exactly what Megan mentioned. You know, they may be just simply nervous or worried or just not themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them actually get irritable and unhappy. Um, that's that indication that that liver is not right. We all know the uh, the alcoholic or the drunk, they tend to be irritable and angry. That's because <laughs> their liver is not happy. So right. um, we look for those little things. And we see simple things like picky eaters. You know, they just they normally are in the bucket real good, and now they're just eating a little bit, um, going away, coming back, going away. Uh, sometimes cribbers not that aren't cribbers can begin cribbing. That's kind of a sign that they're stressed, they're not happy, and ulcers may be brewing or prevalent. Um, weight gains, you know, they can't get the weight on them. Maybe they'll lose a little bit of weight. We find a lot of these horses that have ulcers are certainly sore through the back. They may even lie down more frequently than uh, you would expect them to do in their normal routine. Um, the way they go, they may be a little bit of crooked going to the right and unwilling to pick up that right lead. Um, they may even have things like spookiness or bolting or uh, bucking a little bit or kicking out under under saddle, uh, maybe mild colics, maybe a little bit of light diarrhea, poor hair coat. These are all contributing factors. Now, there's other things that can cause those, 
But these are the simple things to keep a good eye on to say, huh, maybe I need to be uh, concerned about that. So um, it's prevalent, particularly in horses that are in performance. And one of the lovely things that we did discuss is, yes, we can go in and scope these horses and get a diagnosis in a minute. And I encourage anybody that wants to do that to do it because that's going to give us our, our definitive diagnosis. But as the TCVM practitioner, we have great tools. I I make a point of looking at their tongue and their gums and their eyes, looking for usually a sign of redness, warmth in the body. Megan mentioned that we have acupuncture points that we can pretty much rely on, a clinical study showing 80 to 90% um, correlation between these points and um, problems in the stomach and or hindgut. So, we are able as TCVM practitioners to offer a really good um, window into what possibly might be going on with respect to both gastric and colon ulcers. For sure. And I, I you know, there are plenty of folks out there that um, either don't have the money in the budget to go scope the horse, don't have a horse trailer readily available to them that, you know, most of the time um, gastric scopes live at more referral clinics or, or higher level facilities and are maybe a little less accessible. So it's really nice to have at least something, an offering for those folks that um, scoping is not, we're not going to default to that. We're going to have to survive on some other um, diagnostics. And it, it's interesting when you guys we're talking about the points, the the acupuncture points. I think we've talked before in our um, in our podcasts about scanning, and re- and I'll I'll say it again. Really, what that is is there are certain acupuncture points for stomach and heart and liver and those things. And when those are sensitive to pressure, we usually use a, a pen cap or a little needle needle holders or something like that. Then that might be indicative of a problem in that organ, which is super cool. One of the first cases that I can remember using that diagnostic was a. a case of one of the vets in this area had referred a horse to me for back pain. And I scanned it. And just like Megan mentioned, right around the last rib are some big stomach alarm areas or or indicator areas. And lo and behold, that back soreness was all due to stomach ulceration, you know, right behind where the saddle would sit, right at the back of the saddle. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun to have a bunch of different tools. Yeah, and it's reliable in in the sense that, you know, we all know horses can frequently have back pain for a variety of reasons, but um, being able to use, uh, I actually use two points, and uh, to see that once those needles are in, that that back pain clears a bit, maybe not 100%, but maybe 50%, to -hmm. me, that's a pretty good indication that um, that we've got a problem in that, in that colon area. And, you know, you think about it, if you've got colon uh, ulcers, how do you, how would you stand? You would mm-hmm. stand in a roach back position, both as sure. a person or as a horse. So that puts strain on these back areas. And so, um, horses with colon ulcers will tend to be back sore. And for me, it's got a lot to do with the way that they posture. Mm-hmm. I really like that. It's great. And it, it brings to mind, really, I enjoy my daily practice so much because is he standing roach back because his back hurts? Is he doing it because he's got a weak hind end and he's using his back to 
carry his caboose around? Does he have stomach ulcers? You know, does he, has he gotten kicked? And he's, <laughs> there's the, the sleuthing process is just so exciting for me. And, you know, trying to get to the bottom of, of putting all the puzzle pieces together and Chinese medicine has just given me so many more tools to get that done. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Megan, uh, was in, in my class in the, the chiropractic class. And you and I have been a chiropractic class today, uh, together. Um, all of these tools of TCVM, um, using this AccuScan, using your chiropractic look, all of these tools are allowing us to have, uh, um, you know, uh, an in-depth window into the, you know, the balance and health of the horse. And it's, it's, it's exciting for me as well. Yeah, no, it's it's just a lot of fun. I just feel like I learn more and more all the time. There's so much to know, and um, there's so much to know in any medicine, and how to marry the two. I mean, and there's way more than two medicines, but you know, sort of the TCVM and the from a veterinary perspective, and then there's the whole. There's all kinds of other m- modalities that um, you know can be helpful, and just trying to figure out how they work for different horses and different things is fabulous. Yeah, and I I do wasn't mentioned earlier, but I not just from the diagnostic point, but from a therapeutic point, I do electroacupuncture on my um, ulcer patients. I think it's very very helpful. Interesting. In, in, in combination with as we discussed management processes, uh, food therapy, herbal formulas, um, the whole gamut. And in fact, I even encourage them uh, to brush them vigorously across the back to move that pain out and put all of these things in combination. I think we can offer a lot more than just um, some pharmacological medicines. Well, and that's fascinating to me because I find that many of my stomach ulcer patients are um, really fractious with needles, like they won't allow me to needle them. Um, and then once we get the stomach pain cleared, they're fine for needles. So yes. the way that I sort of describe that to my clients is that, you know, if you have got chronic pain and your pain threshold is 10 and you're already on a seven or an eight every day, then needles are just going to be overwhelming and they're going to be too much. So yeah, that's great yeah, to know that I, you electro know, them. And, and just kind of for the reader, just going back a little bit through the food therapy, because this is something that they have readily, ready access to in the grocery store. And just all we need to do is provide that guidance to say, okay, in light of what we're seeing as a diagnosis, what foods would be most beneficial. And for these warm, hot, barbecued stomach horses, <laughs> um, I, I recommend, you know, alfalfa hay or pellets, um, rice bran, aloe juice is wonderful, chia seeds, as mentioned, yep. um, apple cider vinegar, flax seed, goji berries, and sweet potato, basically sweet potato that you would buy in the grocery mm-hmm. store. Uh, very simple. I'm not sure there's a big difference between sweet potato and yams, but uh, when I go in and <laughs> my wife says, get me a sweet potato, it's right there. That's what right. I use. So right. they're very helpful in providing that little cover and um, protective cover, like a mucus protective cover to the intestinal lining. Mm-hmm. So we have lots of choices for foods we talked also about some of the cooling things. If they're hot, watermelon, rind, celery, cucumber, all of those things mm-hmm. are going to be cooling. Don't forget my barley, John. I love barley. And barley. Bah. <laughs> yes. We just have a whole big thing of barley in our house. So we're, exactly. We use it. Exactly. 
Uh, that's great. So that wraps it up for our September module of uh, the Chi University podcast for Horses in the Morning. You can reach both Dr. John and Dr. Me, Allison, at uh, chiu.edu, which is chiu.edu. And for any information on TCVM, that's a great website as well. So we look forward to seeing you uh, next month. And thanks for tuning in.